stand for the reading of God's word from Isaiah chapter number 38. Verse number one, about that time Hezekiah became deathly ill and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs, affairs in order for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. And when Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down and wept bitterly. And then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city And this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. I will cause the sun's shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahab. So the shadow on the sundial moved backward 10 steps. That's an amazing miracle, folks. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you that we can share it together and learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are two key phrases in my text related to Hezekiah. It says, he turned, and then it says about God, he will add, will add. When Hezekiah received this message from God, he immediately went into a a deep shock and depression, and he speaks of sorrow and crying, and no doubt. Finally, in verse 16, something kicks in. Lord, your discipline is good for it leads to life and health. You restore my health and allow me to live. For the dead cannot praise you. They cannot raise their voices in praise. Those who go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. See how important this is generationally and for your lineage and for us to have legacy and to pass along what God's taught us. Think of it. The Lord is ready to heal me. Praise God. Somebody ought to declare that today. So let me unwrap this. Comprehend what King Hezekiah is going through in order to appreciate the circumstances he found himself in. Hezekiah was under tremendous pressure because the Egyptians and the Assyrians were putting this pressure on him to form an alliance. And that meant if he aligned with the Egyptians, the Assyrians would become his enemy and hate him. And if, if he aligned himself with the Assyrians, the Egyptians would take offense and, and he'd go to war with them and they would hate him. <clears throat> so he's under great pressure from both of these other entities and, and powers. And he's asking all of his counselors, what do you think I should do? And he's at a crossroads. He's not certain which way he should go. And right in the middle of this consternation, the prophet Isaiah arrives and he said, if you don't know which group to join, Let me give you a word from the Lord. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we're God's people and we remember the name of the Lord. That's that's who we trust in. So King Hezekiah comes under great pressure because on top of this moment of decision-making, Sennacherib, an evil general, sends him a letter. And there's something about getting it in writing. It's one thing to hear a threat, but when you get it in writing, 
when it's a legal document, when it's an MRI, when you've uh, been catheterized and they're looking into your heart, when it's a doctor's report, when it's a financial report, you know, there comes a seriousness about the matter when they can chart it. And Sennacherib said, I know you think your God is good, but you've never fought an enemy like me. And I'll admit that your God has helped you win previous battles, but your God cannot handle what I've got. I've got new weapons. And the word records that he now had in possession iron chariots. He said, I have new weapons you've never fought against. I've got stuff you've never seen. I know God helped you deal with the minor enemies you faced, the Canaanites and the Moabites. This is different. This battle will be more intense. I'm different. And I'm telling you, I'm going to wipe you out if you don't surrender to me. King Hezekiah has all this pressure building. And as a result of the pressure, he became very ill because pressure and stress and fear combined begin to break down his body and he loses his health because of the intensity of what he's facing. There are many people who have lost their health because of stress. I, I don't remember when the doc told that to us one day. He goes, you know, you're healthy, but there's a lot of people over here at the cemetery who died healthy because they had too much stress in their life. I said, well, thanks, doc. That's good information. <clears throat> there are some here under physical attack. When I speak about pressure and stress, and related to decisions that you have to make. And and while it takes its toll on the body, if you're not careful to learn how to de-stress, after a while, it will work on your mind. After a while, it works in your body. And before you know it, if you worry enough and stress enough about it, if you go right off the rails because of it, if you're fearful because of it, and it keeps you up at night and walk the floor, after a while, it seeps into your body and your body will get tense, and that creates illness and infl- because of inflammation. And the word says King Hezekiah had carbuncles. That was the expre- That's the King James English version of what was happening to his physical body. He broke out in shingles. His, his immunity was depressed. And literally what happens when you get this disease that he had, it was brought on by stress and worry and depression of your nervous system. And I hear the Lord directing, you need to hear this. Today will be a day of relief if you embrace what truth is delivered to you. And here's how you do it. Someone here has some faith to express. The stress is wiping out King Hezekiah. It's not just one thing you're dealing with. See, because the enemy sets bombs off in sequence. And and here's one and then another, another bad report, another thing goes wrong, another negative response. And on top of that, just when you need to be at your best, just when you need to be having your game face on, the top of your game, now physically you're being beaten down. The bills are coming. You're still struggling. You're feeling odd. The stress, irregular sleep, and the attacks continue to build. And this is when the tempter arrives to start messing with your mind. And the enemy says, this time your God will fail you. It's Sennacherib. And this time, you're not coming out. And this time, you're done. And this is it. And you're going down. And we all knew you wouldn't last. You knew the good stuff would not last forever. You knew sooner or later that all these blessings from God were going to come to an end. And then he whispers, 
the time has come for you to decrease and diminish. And that's what he's been telling people. You're going to lose it all. You're never going to survive this. And the stress is eating Hezekiah alive. And he has his nerve-related compromise going on. It releases the virus dormant at the tip of his nerve endings. It breaks out all over his body. He's in excruciating pain. The skin is boiling up with pain and raw singles, extreme soreness. And the danger with this, in Bible days, there were very few remedies for this kind of a disease. There's an infection raging in his bloodstream because there's little medicine common to that day. They would just treat it with some type of pack or poultice that they would concoct and put it on the open wounds. This, this, he had the adult version of chickenpox. And the reason it's dangerous in that day for an adult to contract it, because the immune system was depressed and couldn't handle it. So he's sick and he's dying. And then in walks the prophet of God, the silver-tongued prophet Isaiah. And he says, this is what the Lord says, set your affairs in order for you're going to die. You're not going to recover from this illness. And when Isaiah said, set your affairs in order, the statement brings shock and grief to King Hezekiah. See, this was a reference to the fact that Hezekiah did not have an heir at this point to the throne of Israel. So compounding the fact that he's ill and he's got overwhelming circumstances he's facing, he doesn't have a son. He has no heir to pass on the throne to. So when he hears the word, set your affairs in order, you're going to die, he's grieving for the fact that he's going to lose his life and he's deeply bothered. He's got no lineage. The prophecy that was given to King David, there will never be a time in Israel when the tribe of Judah will not have a king on the throne. And he's the one who's going to mess up the prophecy. In the middle of all this, he's got to face this fact. He will not pass this along. And the good thing about a prophetic word over your life is this. No matter how many daggers are pointed at you, if you've got a prophetic word over your life, I don't care if Abraham himself is raising the dagger and about to plunge it into your heart like Isaac, you've got a prophetic promise over your life. And they cannot kill you because the word in you will preserve you no matter what's come against you. That's why if you get the word in you, you become unconquerable. And the word said that the news broke King Hezekiah's heart. He's weeping and he's crying. Not only is he going to die, his lineage is going to die with him. And there'll be no king for the throne of David from his lineage. And it was at this point, he turns his face toward the wall. And it's true. This is a Jewish custom. It was something that the Jewish people did over and over since the time that Solomon dedicated the temple. And he asked God a question, Solomon did. He said, God, if we're ever taken captive, if we ever have to be removed from our land and we find ourselves in a place where we don't belong, if we turn eastward toward this temple, will you hear our prayer? And God said, if you turn. If you will turn, say the word turn, say it. If you will turn toward me in prayer, no matter where you are, no matter how bad the situation, no matter how great the captivity, if you'll turn toward me. Now, why toward the temple? Because that's where the presence of the Lord dwells. In our day, if we'll turn toward the Lord, 
And this is why it says that every day the captive Daniel would arise and three times a day he would turn himself eastward and he would bow and pray toward the Lord. When Jonah was in the belly of the great fish wrapped up in seaweed, the word records he shifted himself eastward. Man, he had spiritual GPS down there under the ocean. It's in the book and he prayed. And no matter how bad your situation is, if you'll learn how to turn toward God, if you know how to call on the Lord, this truth will boost someone's faith here today. Don't forget the covenant you have with God. He keeps his word. And I like how he prayed. He said, God, let me remind you of something. Remember this about me. I went and I tore down all the idols I found here in Israel. Because I didn't have a spiritual father. My father was Ahab. (laughs) My great-grandfather was a heathen. And when I came along, none of them were serving you. I tore down their altars. I reinstituted worship. I reestablished sacrifices of praise. You see, it's good when you've been in church tithing and serving, and you can say, Lord, remember. It's good when you have brought God's sacrifices because you're in a crisis and you say, Father, do you remember? It's good to have history with God. That's a a plus for your conscience. It's difficult to go to God with a clear conscience when you've been robbing him on Sunday, when you don't serve him like you should. But when you're doing what God asks you, you go with a clear conscience. That means your faith can be released. It's good to have history. I'm thankful I have history with God. But I want to go a step further because you need more than history into the new covenant with God. Under the old covenant, that's all they had. They had to bring up their track record. They had to bring up what they were able to achieve. Now we're under a new and a better covenant. I don't get miracles because I've recently done well. But I come and say the blood of Jesus and by his grace that I've received, I can come boldly to the mercy seat. Amen. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. So we've got to get past just the work stuff and get past this feeling like we deserve a miracle. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy of healing. It's the miracle power of his grace and mercy that qualifies us for a miracle. So we should give God thanks For grace, it's the power that we need when we're weak. When I can't flash my credentials because I had an oops and my conscience is bothered, when I can't flash my goodness because there's the pride of life and a failure, when hell is attacking my life, I'm so glad I can just cry mercy, grace, and God turns his full attention toward me. Maybe you're sick in body. Maybe you're facing a mountain that you can't move. I dare you, turn toward the Lord and say, I'm not in this battle alone. You are with me. You see, we attempt too often to try to handle stuff all by ourselves. That's a bad habit we've, we've, we've discovered and we practice. But there will come a point when you're going to need to turn to the Lord. And you're going to have to say, this is a job for God. He can handle your family. He can handle your marriage. 
He can handle your sickness. He can handle your drug-addicted child. He knows how to deal with a repentant heart. Turn your face toward God. You see, we don't always have a clean slate. We can't look and say, hey, remember, because if he does, he might just go ahead and fire up the barbecue and burn us, and there'd be nothing left but a bucket full of ashes. But if I don't get excited over anything else today, I'm just happy. I belong to Jesus by grace. (laughs) That ought to make you want to shout. I said that ought to make you want to shout. Amen. And I understand it wasn't long ago in, in history, probably, well, three, four or five decades, how strict some fellowships were. They measured the length of the skirts of the women in the church. They fussed about their makeup. If you were not careful, that kind of stuff could stick on you, and you could feel like you were earning God's favor, that because you you know, you practiced it a certain way that you deserve the miracle. But God said, I'm ready. You call on the name that is above every name. You come in that name. Don't you come in your name. You come in the name of my son. Thank God for mercy and grace. It means it was unearned. It means we didn't deserve it. It means we shouldn't even receive it, but we still receive it anyhow. And no sooner had Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he started calling on God. Look, Isaiah had not even gotten off the palace grounds yet. He was still crossing the courtyard, and the Spirit of the Lord comes to him, and the Word says, you have a message to go back and give to Hezekiah, because the Word says he had turned. I'm glad we serve a God who knows how to turn. And just when it looks like the enemy's going to win, amen, God knows how to make a turn. Just when it seems like everything's heading in the wrong direction, he in a moment's time turns the whole circumstance around. I know him as the God of 1159. I know that he's that God. And I'm telling you, in his presence, someone is going to get a divine turn. Up to this point, it seems like everything you're hearing is negative, down, negative. But when you turn to the Father, it's always up. It's always heading in the right direction. When you receive his favor, it's blessing, it's healing, it's victory, it's grace, it's mercy. I I feel a change in the atmosphere. Amen? I don't know what challenges you're dealing with, but I serve a God who knows how to make the adjustment. And anytime God makes a switch, it's for the better. So Isaiah walks right back into the same room. And he said, this is what the Lord says, Hezekiah. The Lord has heard your prayers, and he's seen your tears, and he's going to add 15 years to your life. Five minutes ago, he was under the sentence of death. But I love this word, the Lord will add. I hear in my spirit the Lord saying, tell my people, addition is coming. Addition is coming, not subtraction, addition. But he said, are you ready for the addition? Not one more, 15 more. Does anybody here believe that you serve the God, not of subtraction, but of addition? That means he blesses you. Then on top of that, and again on top of that, and he piles it on on top of that. 
you haven't seen anything yet. When God begins to pile it on in the right direction, you haven't scratched the surface of what God wants to add. Say addition. It restores your health when he brings addition. He refreshes your soul when he brings addition. He increases your anointing when he brings addition. It blesses your financial world when there's addition. Addition comes upon not only individuals, but upon the fellowship of believers. Addition, the Lord adds to the church. It's for us. Addition, it's a Bible word. Addition, not subtraction. Satan subtracts from you. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God's presence brings addition. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God makes the divine turn. I'm talking to somebody about a circumstance, and the enemy's told you it's downhill physically. All you can expect is subtraction. You will lose mobility, or you will lose that job, or you're going to lose some finance, or you're going to lose your mind. What a lying devil. Amen? What a liar he is. That's all he does is lie. I hear the word of the Lord saying, addition, because the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. The prophet said, you shall live. Say live. Thank God for life. I feel like I've got my foot on the spirit of infirmity or on adversity or on the neck of that adversary. Don't you allow the enemy to bully you about God's power to overcome. There is a healer. There is a deliverer. There is a rescuer. There is a restorer in the room. He's not a man. He's the spirit of God. He's representative of of Jesus of Nazareth. Say, God is giving me a turnaround. Say, God is making a turn. Does anybody here feel a little bit of what I feel a whole lot of up here? Does anybody? If you can't give me a spirit-filled shout, at least give me a Baptist nod or do something. I mean, right? But give God some thanks if you believe you're going to get better. Your future is getting better. Amen. Your life, your health, finances, better. I believe while we turn to him and worship, when we have a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and when the tears begin to flow, God loves to make a switch when that happens. I believe when we appeal to him with trust and faith, he turns battles in our favor. I believe while we worship him for what he's achieved on the cross, he'll turn sickness into health, mourning into joy, poverty into increase. That's the God I serve. We believe in a supernatural God. Now, I don't know the doctrine of your religious upbringing, but we believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever because that's exactly what his word said. You recall how Samson won a great victory over the Philistine? He picked up the jawbone of a donkey. You remember that? I mean... These these are trained Philistine warriors, and the jawbone represents the part of your mouth that moves. (laughs) 
When you start speaking faith, I said, start speaking faith. When you start talking about the God who heals, delivers, restores, instead of, well, I know when my mother had that, she died. No, no, talk about the God who heals, delivers, restores. You slay the enemies with the jawbone of your confession. You ought to thank God things will get better, not worse. There's going to be addition, not subtraction. Use your jawbone on the devil's lying tongue. Use it. In the midst of Hezekiah's despair, God touched him. And God said, I know this is too big for you to believe in light of all that you've been through and the pressures you're facing from these adversaries. I'm going to give you a sign that what I'm doing is going to come to pass. You go outside and watch the sundial. See, there were no Brightman watches back then. All they had were sundials. And you'd watch the shadow on the sundial, and as the sun moved and the, uh, the earth rotated and the angle of the sun was being changed, then there would be a shadow that would be cast and it would continue to be different and it would give you the correct time of day as the sun angle changed on the sundial. And that's what's so amazing about the God I serve and what the Word says about him that in him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You can stare at his word all you want, and it will not move an iota. It will never change. And so the sundial was their measure of time. And they could tell time by where the shadow was on the sundial during the course of the day. So God said, since I'm speaking to you about adding time to your life, Let me give you a sign concerning who's in charge of time. You might think that time is in control and that you're running out of time. But he said, I'm the God who stepped out of eternity and I created time. I control time and miracles are on my time, not on your time, which means you could be in your later years and you receive your greatest miracle. It could be late in the circumstance where God does the greatest miracle in your life. And somehow, for some reason, I seem to always have a relationship with that kind of a God who comes in at the last moment. And then God does the greatest thing I've ever had done in my life because God controls time, not you and not your adversary. And you appreciate the brilliance of God because looking and exploring at how light gets created, what happens are molecules that are invisible to the natural eye, tiny little balls of red color, and what causes light are these little particles begin to rub together, red in color, but when they rub together, it causes light to explode out of these little particles. And God said, you go out there and watch where the shadow is and watch me turn back that sundial. Those molecules, particles, are supposed to be moving at a certain angle during this part of the day. But watch me bend them. Watch me get those minute particles and manipulate them and turn the clock back 10 degrees. Turn the sundial back 10 degrees. Think about this. Because not only did he create light, but also God sustains it and controls it. And in this case, actually changed it so he could make a point to the king. Watch me take this and turn it so that you can see I'm the God who says I am the God. Time 
you thought you had lost, things that you think you no longer have possession of, the time of your life that's passed by, opportunities that have gone beyond you. God knows how to turn back the clock and restore the years that the canker worm and the locusts have stolen from you. He said, I'll restore those years when you were doing drugs and you should have been in church. I know how to bend time. Those years when you should have been rewarded for your labor, but you got ripped off. I know how to restore them. When you lost time that the enemy stole from you, you were in exile, in prison like a Joseph. The enemy told you that that time was wasted. I'm the God who can bend the clock. I'll restore what the enemy has taken. I'm the God who can deal with lost time. The time lost in a marriage to an ungodly spouse, I'll take it. I'll give it back to you and give you more living than you lost. That's the God I am. How many know God? God restores the years. You are not at the mercy of your circumstances. You are at the mercy of an everlasting loving God. And God put a pause on our solar system for one man. And if he will change the pattern of the solar system for one man, I think he can handle your mess. I know a God who can deal with heart trouble. I know a God who can deal with your finances that take a downturn. When God switches it out, no power can take it back and undo it. It becomes a part of recorded history when God does it. And God is making the record of our history. So after King Hezekiah saw the clock starting to move backward, the word says he went back in. And he said, I'll sing his praises with instruments every day of my life in the temple of my Lord. He said, I've just seen something that no natural eye has ever seen before. He went back in and he took off his grave clothes and he put on his church clothes And I'm here to tell somebody, you've worn your grave clothes long enough. I said, you've worn them long enough. When they came to Jesus' tomb, the word says, Jesus' grave clothes were like a cocoon lying there, a shell. And the head napkin was folded nearby on one side. And what he was saying was, I'm not going to need these again. If someone else needs them, there they are. But I'm not getting in those again. I want to remind you, take off your grave clothes. Put on the garment of praise. Put on your church clothes. Because when God shows you a sign, it means it's not dying time, it's living time. Get the grave clothes off. The depression, the stress. Get your praise on. Been moping around. Oh no, I'm I'm losing it. Get that off of you. That spirit is not from God. He said, 15 more years, more blessing, more increase, breakthrough, favor, health. I'll bless you. Tell somebody, I can't die yet. Tell them. Hezekiah said, Lord, the dead don't praise you. So when you don't praise him anymore, that means you're ready for a box. We'll have your eulogy, even while you're still breathing because the dead don't praise him. You're already in the grave. There have been times I thought, I'm preaching to the dead in Christ. 
And I, and I found it in the Bible. I found it in the Bible. The dead don't praise him. Yeah. King Hezekiah said, the living, the living. You said it twice. The living. Say, the living. Those who have a living faith praise you. See, there's a dying faith. When Simeon saw Jesus, the Messiah, when Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple after his birth, he said, my eyes have beheld him and now I can die. Now, it's good if that's your time to do that. But the elderly woman, Anna, she saw him. She didn't speak of death. and She was up in years too. And she said, Lord, have mercy. He's here. This is no time to die. This is the time to live. This is a new day. Miracles, addition. See, it's good to have dying faith. We need to have living faith. The living, the living shall praise you. Are you alive today? Has he given you another opportunity today? Has he made a turn in your life today? Is he turning the battle in your favor today? Does he not add and not subtract? You will not die. Even when I do die, I will not die. Even when you bury my body and you're crying, and you better cry really bad. You better. Because I'll be looking down. And even when I die, I won't die. You can't kill what won't die. So we worship him because he's our savior and our healer and our provider. And he's my banner. Setbacks, we all have them. Everybody has setbacks. So many people, they have the spirit of timidity or fear on them and they're scared to do anything. That's any ventures frighten them. So they just vegetate. Failure is a better teacher than success. It's okay to have a setback because every great success always has in its story an element of, of, of failure. And you haven't failed until you quit. Thomas Edison finished his seventh, 700th experiment trying to develop the electric light. His assistant said, we have failed. Edison said, no, we have found 700 ways that will not work. He said, don't call these 700 experiments mistakes. Call them an education. We're going to keep going until we find the answer. Are you afraid of failure? Then you're never going to succeed. You can't steal second base until you get off of first base. You're never going to stub your toe standing still. The turtle never gets anywhere until he sticks his neck out. So you can't succeed unless you're ready to risk a little failure now and then. Setbacks. As long as you're alive, you still praise the Lord. Amen? And if you're living, praise him today. Thank him for his mercy. Even in crisis, even in a dilemma, the living, not the dead, praise him. You were once dead, but now alive, so you give him living praise. Remind yourself of how good God is to you. So stand to your feet. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So take a moment and express some of that joy to the Lord and bless him. Lift your hands. Thank him for goodness. Thank him for mercy. Thank him for grace.